Hello and welcome to Classical Music Now, the podcast by No Dice Collective. I am your host, Joe Chessman March, and today we're talking to Bonnie Schwartz and Pete Shaw of Good Habits. Good Habits is a duo of cello and voice via Bonnie and accordion via Pete. They've been touring New Zealand for the past year or so, and they're just about to release their new album, Going For Broke, which you can read more about on their website. In the podcast, we talk about capturing attention quite generally, what captures people's attention, is that a good thing, is that make a a good stand for what music should be, things like virtuosity, playing your instrument the, the wrong way, and that also includes things like visual stimulus, so how people are actually playing their instrument, what actions they're doing, as well as how it sounds. Something that, especially in the classical world, the kind of sit down at a concert hall kind of classical world, we, we really don't actually uh, pay quite enough attention to, in my opinion. We also talk about clog-like dancing and writing pop songs for a Chinese media company. And at the end, we have a performance of Hitch by Good Habits, which is a new single from their new album. And without further ado, here's Bonnie introducing the Good Habits story so far. How about I'll go from graduation, that probably uh-huh. make the most sense in context. And to avoid the whole, what do I do after graduating, I somehow joined an Australian rock band and toured around Germany. And that was a bit of a sidestep, but it was oh really fun. And then I thought this would be, um, and it was crazy, it was really bizarre. And then I thought it'd be more fun to do it as good habits. And then Pete and I could, and it was actually the violinist who I was touring with, um, she lives in New Zealand, in Napier, and she kind of, on a whim, guys, do a tour of New Zealand. Do as much music as you can, and um, Pete and I both have family here too, so it, um, so deciding to come to New Zealand and make it a tour and fill it with as much music and as many gigs as we possibly could was basically the kind of, the catalyst and excuse to make what good habits was suddenly now a full-time all-encompassing thing and to just kind of jump in all guns blazing basically and then we'd planned a pretty crazy run and we ended up doing about 46 gigs or something like that in three months which was really really fun and the kind of things it was was lots of really intimate quirky spaces and so that was really wonderful. And we came out here with no view as to what it would look like after that tour. We came out here thinking, and then we do these three months touring, and then we reevaluate our lives there and then. And then, of course, a pandemic happened. <laughs> and then someone who had um, been our warm up act in Paikakariki, this lovely duo, said, you should extend your stay and come and stay with us for a few months and you can come and kind of help out with the house and she's got a young daughter and help out and kind of be like woofers and just have a bit of a break and so we thought oh that'd be great so we extended our stay till june and we've been working towards releasing our first um full album um mm-hmm. as good habits as a duo and then off the back of that another big nomadic tour <laughs> another um, tour yeah, yeah. <laughs> and again again, again. <laughs> let's do it again um, and we haven't necessarily told all of our family that we might not be back for christmas yet so what a way to tell them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys we're on this podcast yeah. don't no, no, don't don't listen don't listen to it no, it's, it's rubbish <laughs> we, we don't, 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 don't. <laughs> <laughs> we'll tell um, them before the podcast comes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
how are you finding all these small gigs? Because I've seen a few of your kind of like your live streams and your, these kind of house concerts and um, it looks really nice. Like lots of live lounge type things. Yeah, I think that that suits what we're doing particularly well because mm. a big part of what we do is kind of like a, a story of all the little moments that built up towards us being here in New Zealand on this adventure. And it's kind of very... Yeah. I think playing in a in a live lounge, very close, intimate environment just requires that. Not having the performative distance away from a performer means that you just have to ease the audience into feeling chummy, into having a close and a personal connection with them when there's no stage, no lights, no none of that. And I think for us, that's been really, really special because Kiwi culture, everyone is just so friendly, hospitable, mm. awesome. And playing at these gigs... It seems to be the way that when people see us and they come for us a full performance, um, we've just told them so much about ourselves through the music we're doing and the little bits in between. And then they suddenly feel like they, they know us so wholly that then after those gigs, because we've looked them in the eye, because we've been so close to them, we do just have, have a lovely chat and have made genuine friendships with people who've been audience members and that's just something that wouldn't have happened if all of our gigs were um darkroom bar stage kind of situation that sounds really nice yeah mm. i suppose in a way that's kind of the ideal bolster for like the group as well like to be able to form real connections with people after just one event that's quite special and i think it's definitely easier in new zealand it's people's yeah just general oh, okay openness is ridiculous you just sort of you can be chatting to someone afterwards and then they'll say oh well if you're playing down here yeah my brother lives there so yeah you don't like you can just stay there for the nights that you're down there and that's like and it's they're not just saying it to be nice it's a complete honest thing and they're like well obviously why wouldn't you stay with my friend or why yeah come stay with me and it's just such an open thing it happened to us it happened to us when we were busking to promote uh to promote a gig we were doing in Invercargill um and we were playing outside outside a bar when there was this big kind of biker derby happening and this kind of guy in all his bike gear it's like oh and he looked at our tour schedule and he was like oh when you're in Christchurch you can just come and stay with me and he's just the most wonderful lovely person (laughs) yeah so you (laughs) stayed at his for a few nights yeah um But I think what you're saying about um, creating these connections with people and I think it's fair to say from the number of performances we've done, having audience members who are just naturally more relaxed makes that easier because often in in any kind of performative scenario, when you light up the audience and then they feel that they're in plain sight, that can often make people retract or feel a bit more awkward and uncomfortable. And I don't know whether that's just me speaking from 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 other spaces and places but i really get the sense that when you kind of sit in the same place but you're someone who is being larger than life singing playing upbeat in the way that we are or as extreme from kind of a big energetic full accordion sound to then something really kind of delicate and intimate that you have to actually invite them to just be okay with that and to not sit there wishing they were in the darkness <laughs> <laughs> but then it's really nice because sometimes we do have those dark room gigs or whatever or just playing for bars and we that was a good way for us when touring to kind of keep the money flowing as yeah, we do totally. a lot of those just to keep money rolling over and it was really satisfying because you could feel 
the environment in the bar changes it sort of and you try and get it further and further towards that kind of everyone listening to you that yeah. close connection and so it starts the night starts with no one listening and say like just you finish each song and then start a new one and there's nothing but mm. yeah as the night goes on you can really kind of chip away and eventually it just you can we've had times where it's just turned into a normal gig with kind yeah. of people sitting in silence and that's really lovely and, and i don't of, think that's that's necessarily us going oh well it's because we're good people listen to us it's not that at all it's a it's been really awesome to kind of slowly learn how you can change the way people respond to your music just by all of your behaviours, particularly when you're not playing. So say we were doing a set in a bar or a restaurant and it's full of tourists and we need this to get by. We'll play a song, could be a cover, and then we finish it and then we look at each other to decide the next song that just immediately tells people, okay, this is the background music entertainment. But if we shape it in a way that like mostly physically how we're performing and then when we and then when we finish we're explaining or each story is introduced in a certain way or it leads into something else or we exaggerate our physicalities as though we've stepped into being on stage and it sounds like ridiculous but expecting people to be watching and listening and even if that is just someone who's just happens to be standing with their phones and their pints closer towards them if we then direct the thank you to them or even ask something that couldn't be a rhetorical question, then suddenly it just has a ripple effect of more people going, oh, a performance is happening here. I mean, in our defence, it's pretty weird. Like, we're a cellist and accordionist, and we turn up. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people are like, what? I've never seen someone play the accordion who's younger than 50. <laughs> <laughs> Especially because there's, like, a whole blend of genres as well, because there's, like, singing and songs, so it's kind of like pop, and then there's a cello, so that's, like oh, I've seen that in an orchestra, and then there's an accordion, it's like, oh, I've seen that in folk. So, like, you, you really don't know what's going to happen in a way. A risky road Out in the open A risky road Out in the open What would I say If I saw the old me And it's all Everything you are I find it right beside me Let's come and see Things will change A lot but they'll change For the better And things will change To what Feels like we've always known A risky wrong The felt just right The best We were um, just playing a gig the other night in Wellington and really lovely venue this venue that's been really out there for like getting concerts on getting performance in and just like really supporting the arts which is awesome and these guys turned up halfway through the night pretty tipsy a lot of them uh, a <laughs> lot of them and them. turned up and were like looked really confused and started dancing along and they were dressed the, incredibly yeah all they were kind of really neon clothes and <laughs> just ready for a great night out and then we were a bit confused but really got involved and we we're playing like some upbeat folk and stuff and so they were dancing we're having a great time then a break they said this isn't the disco night is it and we were like uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> no they said oh, and then like, one oh, of them and they were all turned on this one guy and they're like oh you idiot it was your like, you were supposed <laughs> to organize this and they'd got the wrong week and so we tried to yeah so we went and tried to play more disco stuff was like yeah so sort of bust through some ABBA but they were great yeah. they, just, they didn't mind it they said even though it wasn't disco like yeah it was <laughs> still such it was a weird funny. night for them 
And of course, yeah. Pete, because if we're playing a smaller place, Pete, Pete's accordion is completely unmiked and I just have to kind of mic up myself to try and match him. He's free mm. as a bird. So depending on how many pints Pete's has, he'll be out dancing around <laughs> with everyone else. Yeah, especially like just oh, being yeah. able to move with the accordion is so great. Having kids start yeah. dancing and being able to like get down and... Yeah. yeah, and I think because kids have no sense of that anyway. So a kid, yeah. a kid would come out and be like, what's this button? I want to push it. And that's oh, I have had happened, that happen. happened quite a few times. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> there just, are there's so many buttons, kids, you know? Yeah. And it's, <laughs> I got to push at least one yeah, of them. And just yeah. Just like halfway through it. Yeah. Halfway through it. Yeah. Just kid come up and just look at me and then really slowly just reach up and push the left hand buttons. And I go, well, <laughs> <laughs> looks but bad if great. you kick a kid. I don't know. <laughs> but then you have parents go, oh, no, 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 don't do that. But then it's actually. I guess it drags them in as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. More than merit. I mean, but having said that, we do obviously have those scenarios where we're playing concert gigs, where there is that distance, where the audience are in the dark, where we are on the stage, we have more people. Like, obviously, we do do that thing as well. And that's really awesome and invigorating but in a very different way are you doing like less covers and engagement with the audience in those kind of gigs yeah totally so anything that's a ticketed concert will be our show and in the three months that we did it became more and more tiptoeing towards when did gig theater become a thing (laughs) (laughs) um and how and what is it about our set that kind of tips its toes in towards being able to call it gig theatre when actually in its essence all it is is two musicians speaking and singing and playing music and yeah i've never heard gig theatre before is that Um, how you're like how you're billed or how you describe yourselves um i wouldn't because my associations with gig theatre are oh there's been there's been loads of it. it 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 became a new and i haven't seen i haven't seen enough gig theater that i should to be to be talking about it really but um kind of being being in a gig being in a live music space and then telling a story within that mm. so essentially if you're going to take that kind of definition as the combination of music and theater in a way that isn't typically or traditionally musical theater that's definitely what we do but on an on just a completely autobiographical basis but then also isn't that what everyone does isn't that what anybody does when they are writing a song and they're writing a song about something they have to say and therefore they're saying or singing it and so our live set for our concerts became more and more this thing of each collection of songs were were a chapter of the story and then our autobiographical stories would just become more and more colorful colourful and ridiculous and (laughs) I'd say we lie in that space of just trying to not say oh hey this is gig theatre so come and be confused as to what to expect just call it alternative folk and then we say hey this is us but as the night goes on we just yeah you're telling that story yeah Yeah, and we and more and more we craft it in a way that tries not to feel as forced but is just definitely much more performative and story-based and crafted and ridiculous. Because mm. I think about like a good gig, there's a night in Manchester called Classical Evolution and it mm. was it was at night yeah. and day and they had like classical acts on. And I always find that like a fascinating experiment in what music holds people's attention, um, especially mm. if there's not any words. How do you shape the music so that it catches people's attention and then maintains it and is that a good test for music it's certainly a (laughs) test and i think it's it probably is quite a good test i'm not sure i'd want 
all music to I don't know maybe I would maybe I, I, I would want all music to captivate me in that way mm. but then it's just entirely depends on whose attention you're trying to captivate because then that's completely different depending on um mm. yeah. but totally you know something that springs to mind is a band that were a really kind of important part of our story is a trio from Berlin who I saw performing in Germany and just afterwards were, was compelled to go and say, oh my gosh, hello. Um, <laughs> they were at the time cajon and guitar and violin uh-huh. and completely captivated everybody's attention in the street because, the, sorry, they're called the Trouble Notes. I should probably give them a <laughs> shout out because they're really, really wonderful people. And they mm. were a big inspiration of, of touring in this way and connecting with people and what you were saying, music that doesn't have words, a singer or speaker or what have you. And he, the violinist takes the role of being the piece of the music that is at the forefront of speaking or connecting or doing that. And I think he was so physical, like a, a stuntman violinist, that his playing was technically faultless and really, really impressive and virtuosic. Mm. But the way he physicalized that meant that he captured everyone's attention for such a long time because I just think it's the combination of I don't know maybe maybe then it's it's the combination of of the musical content with something else but but yeah that, virtuosity is definitely an attention capturer you, you yeah. kind of you see that online in terms of like what kind of uh, what what videos of musicians go viral like super easily it's like insane musicianship and mm. i think some some bands have built their whole career on that actually <laughs> yeah. and i wonder whether it's as much the visual stimulus as much as just as what they're playing whether yeah. and just if someone could be playing incredibly virtuosically but doing it completely with a stone cold face and yeah. like no movement with sort of the rest of their body yeah. versus yeah. I don't know, this violinist who plays with his violin behind his head and yeah. sort of jumps around <laughs> and does all that kind of thing. So that... Yeah. And, and, and a side of you can say, oh, well, well, that's just a gimmick. That doesn't make it impressive. But then another mm. side of you can say, but then you're, you're choreographing your performance and you're adding this extra level of what it means to be captivating because if maybe the audience they're playing to isn't entirely captivated by the music alone the f- like extreme physicalization of that is something that your bodies can relate to can be moving in itself yeah. and we've been talking and thinking about this a lot in terms of what dance is and when dance actually is music like <laughs> because dancing is just well obviously not all types of dancing but a massive part of it is is, is moving to music a lot of the time mm. and if the dancing is so physical so that it makes sound with the floor, with your body, with your feet, that then is a rhythm and you are creating music and dance and music go together so entirely that... There's a great genre of um, folk, which is this Canadian folk music where they... um, It's not called clog dancing, but it's kind of, yeah, a type of tap dance and they wear sort of these clog-type shoes. And then the whole point of it is that the dancing and the tap dancing provides the percussion to the musicians Mm. and often it's the musicians tap dancing at the same time as playing so you get these amazing a good example is is, um the unthanks um and they've won yeah they've won rings about yeah uh, folk awards and things like that and then it's the and it's the two singers who do that okay yeah and 
another one is the Fitzgeralds. The Fitzgeralds actually the first time I saw this and it blew my mind. This Canadian family, so they sing and they play violin and doing this dancing and one of them did this thing with a violin that I've never seen where he um <laughs> he undid his bow hairs. This is oh, completely off topic. And um put the wood of the bow beneath his violin, beneath the body, and then put the bow hairs over the top, sort of along the strings, and then grabbed onto the bow and the hair with his bowing hand, so that when ah. he then bows, he gets quadruple stopping because the bow hair is yeah. running over, and then he can play four-part harmony on the violin. And he did "Oh Danny Boy" in four-part harmony solo, and it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Just and the intonation was amazing, and then doing that and tap dancing at the same time. Well, just, was, oh, so. He- and tap dancing yeah so oh, you can wow. just do everything oh, i thought you'd yeah. just completely gone off on a tangent but that is oh, oh my no, God. So, you just do, so you just do everything i mean the the, the yeah the quadruple stopping is a bit of a tangent but that's just something that i'm always amazed that's at. incredible yeah. yeah that's another thing that gets attention actually isn't it like unusual ways to use an instrument mm. Mm. you wanted to know how they felt about you so gave it a go and went in blind without a clue But things didn't go the way you wanted them to You had it slip it all out cause it was true You said it yourself that you'd regret it once you said it You said it yourself that you'd regret it once you said it So forget it, forget it You said it yourself that you'd regret it once you said it How does your cello feel about um, being strummed and the odd piece of glitter and sand, Bonnie? <laughs> uh, well, it's not, it's not really my cello. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, it's actually on loan. Uh. Yeah, it's on loan, so, so, so I don't care. No, I'm joking. I'm kidding. Um, I'd say the cello, cello's in itself, completely fine. My left mm. hand... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just calloused. Pure callous. <laughs> Um, but I have just gone through, I, um, after being first studied cello and then going on a bit of a cello journey after that and having a period of, of not being in lessons, I just would keep coming back um, to a teacher of mine going, am I destroying my cello technique? I'm just checking in again. Am I destroying my, am I destroying my left hand? Because it did get to a stage where I was worried that the way I was playing was just causing too much tension in my hands. But We had to tape you up with electrical tape. Yeah, gigs. or I used to, but I, but that was because whilst doing cello at university, I kept having these very kind of transforming moments of feeling as though I'm starting from scratch again, which is which is always a cool and wonderful thing. But it just meant, especially whilst I was in second year, I was so constantly aware of aware of rebuilding my technique, and so that meant I was just particularly susceptible to bad habits trying to oh god sorry no. i said it i'm sorry <laughs> um, to just doing yeah doing doing kind of quite dangerous things whilst so desperately trying to play quadruple stop strum chords that are never really going to be as perfectly in tune as i'd want them to be um that sounds quite common actually i've heard quite a few yeah. people say that while they were at higher education like they had to kind of rebuild their technique even multiple times like you did. Um, but you, d- you didn't find that that helped you ground your technique and feel more confident in it? 
Um, I think so. And I think, but I think the journey from studying cello at uni actually was a huge confidence thing for me. I lost all confidence in cello playing because whilst I was at university, I didn't have the time or put in the time that my cello needed to be for studying and then and majoring in performing at the end of it because I was a joint honours drama and music and I loved doing everything that would broach across the breadth of that. And so I didn't mm. master, I, did, I didn't do performance in my final year and I was totally fine with that. Right. And, I was doing, okay. and I was doing all sorts of other things and had a really, really awesome experience doing, doing all kinds of things. But it meant that when I graduated uni and then somehow got this touring job across Germany, I was like, but I'm not, a good cellist I'm not a technically able cellist but that's just in comparison to the incredible cellists that I was at uni with so doing this tour of Germany where I decided at the beginning of the tour that I was too stubborn to be a sit-down cellist because I felt left out everyone else got to stand up and yeah <laughs> be more performative and rocking and so I was like oh not having that and decided to start yeah. um standing up which because it's you can't walk around like an accordion but it's much more dynamic than sitting down isn't it yeah totally and but it just you could use a strap or an over shoulder hook which a lot of people do and then the cello Mm. maintains the same relationship with your body as it would have if you were sitting down where the whole point is you want to have a secure relationship with it and so as soon as I started standing up my cello was constantly moving all over the place sometimes I was worried I was even going to drop it on the floor but that was just because (laughs) The way I wanted to present and be whilst I was singing too, because I didn't want cello playing to compromise singing or vice versa. And so that was just really cool because I just had to kind of build a slightly new technique around that in a way where actually the cello is sits somewhere completely differently than I'm used to. Yeah. It's interesting seeing the cello used in different ways because the kind of classical school, I guess there's probably a proper word for that, is like it builds up amazing sound and projection and the tone and the intonation, which Mm. is like just fundamentally so hard to get out of a string instrument where you don't have frets. But in other ways, it does fail musicians, like you were saying, like about that performing and, and conveying and kind of almost dancing or even dancing there's none of that like you're just kind of stuck on this chair and <laughs> there's cello faces you know kind of <laughs> there's the faces that classical musicians pull that don't usually have much relation to the music i found that an interesting discrepancy at uni where it's like oh like the singers have to project their emotions uh you know and act it out even though we're all terrible <laughs> actors like <laughs> whereas like you don't have to you can just get away with putting like the classical musician face yeah. if you if you play a different instrument but i think we should both be trying to do that better totally and i don't think sitting down means that you can't be conveying your music in a way that's beyond the sound the instrument's making i don't think that at all mm. i mean i mean we've been obsessed with like long time obsessed with Yo-Yo Ma and what he does with the Silk Road Ensemble and just seeing the most fun and joy that just (laughs) the music Mm. he's playing is the joy that's just seeping Mm. out of him everywhere. And so having to sit down isn't isn't something that means that you can't, you can't be expressive in that way. But I think for us and what, and what we do and for me and the way we dance and singing as well, I think it just makes such a huge difference being freer I think that's what it is I think it's the feeling of being freer and and I think the more relaxed that we feel the more successful performances I think and especially and the next sort of 
thing that's stopping your ability is then the mic stand <laughs> and i feel like we've been like each uh, each stage that we've done is kind of removing those mm. mobility restrictions so restrictions so to begin with it was the issue of being sat down with the mic having to kind of lean over but then still have enough space for the bowing yeah and so that you're not hitting the mic yeah that, that was a massive thing having to mic up singing and playing the cello sitting down you ch- you've got a different angle it's not a mm. vertical upright cello and so the mic that you need for your vocals can get in the way of your bowing arms depending on where it is uh. um, and then if your cello pickup isn't working then you have to have another mic yeah. somehow positioned on the cello and there's, so it's just so restricting but then standing up is yeah. the next level and but then still bonnie has the thing of having to be like have your chicken. face right fr- in front of the mic <laughs> and not being able to move and always having, having to, to have that yeah so that's so the why, next why stage. you like a chicken sorry because if i'm the more the more physical we get and peak and peak so it's become so, you know? so like it, like it's like it's great so it's so expressive and then if i'm moving around all these kinds of things my body's moving around so much but my head has to stay perfectly still for the microphone <laughs> <laughs> that's like a chicken um so the next stage the next um on my christmas list is a britney mic yeah a Britney ah oh, yeah. nice <laughs> and a headset yeah because a is it's one of those instruments which is so hard to mix live especially if you've got more mics on stage because mm. it just projects the sound outwards you want the mic out from the cello but then that picks up everything else mm. yeah totally it is a shame with we sort of see amazing cellists in bands but then if there's more than three or four people in the band and as soon as there's a guitar or a bass or just anything and then as the band grows you just hear the cello get lower and lower in the mix until you can just see them doing something (laughs) but it just doesn't come across because Mm. in terms of the frequencies it's just so overmasked by all the other instruments and so like in those scenarios it just that doesn't mean you can't have those instruments there but you just need to be aware in the arrangements and I mean, you'd even get it in bands where you have, say, a guitarist and a keys player. You you just have you 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 take different roles, you take different places. And then it comes into interplay as well with the actual just setup, because then you've got you can't really hear the cello, and also everyone else is stood up having a great time, and then there's the cellist sat down, kind <laughs> Big of rim- frown on their face. Yeah, it's playing, but you can't really hear. It. It's uh, you see, yeah, we see it a lot, which is a shame. I think I read somewhere that you all this kind of mixing and the recording and this kind of stuff is some of the skills that you've you've picked up while you've been out on New Zealand. Yeah, definitely. So I'd say both of our knowledge of using digital audio software is just here and there and everywhere and self-taught just to scrap together, make stuff in the way that everyone does kind of. But then when we were in lockdown um, and we did have the thing of like, oh, my gosh, how are we going to get by for money now that we're in New Zealand? And so we started writing um pop songs for a Chinese media company um, <laughs> as you do you I know. really wanted to ask you about this yeah. <laughs> I was like awesome. what we can censor it we can play so we don't have to play any of our own stuff we were just <laughs> it's great well, we well did, so were you like writing new songs like what was the setup yeah were you so given a brief sometimes oh we the briefs were great uh, it's yeah. almost worth reading out the briefs um, one brief was the song is it has to be animals are friends not food um and that's and that's it no but it was that but then in kind of like a disco theme (laughs) so (laughs) it's like disco nemo yeah Yeah. it's really interesting because i had this thought and it was this thing like it was all about how we need to protect the planet and 
don't factory farm that kind of idea we think we didn't we don't know what the companies were that were using them but that was the brief and so we're thinking okay bit sad a song so we'll do it like that and then we had to kind of catch ourselves because I was thinking, right, slow sort of slow songs, all of these, all the sort of the automatic textures and everything that come to mind. And then they said disco, and we're like, that's so weird. How are we going to like? What are we supposed to do? Then we were sort of thinking that it is for a Chinese market, and culturally, we weren't really sure whether our idea of what makes a sad song about or sort of emotional song about mm. how we shouldn't be eating animals is that Just right? Let's put cello and piano with some nice sustained chords yeah so we had to kind of check ourselves and actually think about (laughs) what we were doing instead of going what the (laughs) yeah it was really really fun and the first couple of songs we did were loosely about covid and the first one it was the same thing writing a song and we'd been given some kind of very basic few rhyming lines or something which really makes it it better yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, so you, you got like lines that you had mm. to include in your song <laughs> well I see at least it's a starting point you know limitation mm. of stimulation uh, yeah, yeah. but then we were kind of going we're not going to write a song about how difficult it is in Wuhan at the minute because no way <laughs> we're just going to yeah. try and <laughs> appropriate some people's emotions from another part of the planet Yeah. Um, so, so we kind of went with slightly more universal metaphors and Hmm. it's kind of like how you approach writing for film in the sense of what kind of emotion should we go for and we did have the issue though of the first time writing in this way of writing for a company just to give them the song to use in whatever way of then Hmm. writing a song that was almost too good and then we're like oh damn it like we really like this song and we don't own any of the rights is there <laughs> like, yeah. oh, they could just oh can we keep this one or like yeah. send them another one like, that would be the weirdest thing if that song was the one that went off and then like you'd have to pay them to perform it live yeah, no. yeah. well it's really weird so we were both it came about in a very strange way but basically as we planned to extend our stay when at the end of january because our flights got cancelled to China, we were on the ferry between the islands going north to south and um, heard these people talking about their flights to China. It turns out they were American musicians who lectured in China and had been in New Zealand for a tour when China shut down and they were kind of stuck thinking, like, what do we do? And they had no idea. And so we sort of we were chatting to them a lot and it turns out that one of them runs this kind of Chinese music company for yeah providing music for different companies and whatever they need and so he was our go-between and he was getting us to write for them and then the lovely thing is so we'd send him our our messes which we'd created on this kind of journey of taking these logic courses and and so it was great. So each time we did one of these, they were like our little coursework pieces. <laughs> you know? um, and then using a compressor, <laughs> <laughs> they still confuse me. Yeah, yeah, it's, still yeah. yeah. it's the most confusing it's one by it. far, isn't yeah. it? It's so confusing. <laughs> what is a knee? <laughs> and now he's a knee. <laughs> and why is it in why my computer? Yeah, get off my computer. <laughs> yeah. And now he's mastering the album oh nice um yeah so it all comes together and it's just really wonderful and we haven't been able to stay too far from our original good habits members because benji 
who played bass with us, is the producer of the album and has been doing some cool, crazy mixes. Nice. And long-time fan of the show, Hugh Morris, is also writing up our press releases. Yeah. So you got anything, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds yeah. like you've given a lot of goodwill and, and got a lot back in New Zealand, which is just a really wholesome thing to hear about. We definitely feel like we're riding our wave of good luck and it's going to run out soon <laughs> like, <laughs> just like it can't keep on going something bad's gonna happen we just sort of bought an old crappy car and we're thinking that maybe that it's gonna like blow up or something's gonna happen yeah, <laughs> yeah something's gonna happen well thank you so much for coming on the podcast it's been really nice to uh, to hear from you and obviously it's been a very long time so uh, yeah thank you just so to, much for having nice us nice to hear you yeah, yeah. My pleasure could we could we have a song? Is would that be all right if yeah. you've got it all set up? I wouldn't want all that uh, all that to go to waste. <laughs> yeah, no, we can do that. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Do you want a um, Chinese song? We can. <laughs> no, I don't want a Chinese song. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, we don't have the rights. No, don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, actually, true, actually, true. yeah we, we might not. Actually, I don't know. We haven't heard about that. I actually yeah. recorded some placeholder songs for mm. the Vijay Aya episode in case we didn't get the rights to his uh, his piece emergence. Um, and they're, they're as yet unreleased, but maybe if enough people say that they want to hear them, I'll, I'll put them out in public. Yeah. Wow, that is so cool. <laughs> what line did you go for? Like... Um, the first one sounds a lot like the... Uh, the song from Hercules where it's like mm-hmm. if there's a prize for rudden judgment what a good song <laughs> it's, um, it's literally one of my favourite songs and I, I was like wait a second this is the same song with different words <laughs> <laughs> don't say it no no like is it yes, you're it in love it did, it something did. about um but yeah, Music licensing is complicated. <laughs> and the second one had more of a kind of like edgy, electronic, uh, sped up garage vibe to it. So uh, cool. yeah, if Come you want to hear it, you got to yeah. at me, guys. Yes. <laughs> we'll demand it. Yeah, what song, what song are you going to play for us, guys? Um, so I think we'll give you a song called Hitch. Sweet. Which is actually the first song that Pete ever fully wrote for good habits yeah so hitch is about hitchhiking which is something that i love doing and actually first did when i was in new zealand four and a half years ago when i came out here when i was 18 and yeah i just absolutely love hitchhiking and i think it's a shame that in england it's kind of got a bad name now and people are scared of hitchhikers and people don't really do it but in New Zealand, people still do it. So we've been able to pick up hitchhikers, which has been nice. And you can do it in the UK. It just takes a bit longer. So, yeah, so I wrote a song about hitchhiking. And it, it's not hugely positive. It's more about the kind of being stuck in Hull when it's raining, trying to get a lift. <laughs> <laughs> That's all that kind of side of hitchhiking where you're sort of waiting for a few hours in the rain. Okay, right, now so we'll shuffle. Shuffle, shuffle. Shuffle, shuffle. Okay, so... While Bonnie and Pete are going to get themselves ready, I'd just like to say thank you again to Good Habits for coming on the show. You can check out their new album, Going For Broke, on their Facebook page, which is linked in the description, alongside any artists mentioned in this podcast, as well as a fun video about shortbread from the Good Habits archive that I found. So check that out. And without further delay, here is Hitch by Good Habits. I'll see you next time.
with something that I need But you keep your distance and your privacy Staring at me through the glass Keep moving and avoiding eye contact You've got something that I need But you keep your distance and your privacy Staring at me through the glass Keep moving and avoiding eye contact And it goes on again, on again, on again One and two and three and four go by Keep on smiling, trying to make the ask a bow And again, on again, on again Five and six and seven now As it starts to rain again And it goes on again, on again, on again One and two and three and four go by Keep on smiling, trying to make the ask a bow And again, on again, on again Five and six and seven now As it starts to rain again What you've done before So close to giving up And you've been driving for as long as I've been waiting for You've been driving south alone Asking with your thumb is what you've done before So close to giving up And you've been driving for as long as I've been waiting for You've been driving south alone Asking with your thumb is what you've done before So close to giving up And you've been driving for as long as I've been waiting for And it goes on again, on again, on again One and two and three and four go by Keep on smiling, trying to make the ask a bow On again, on again, on again Five and six and seven now As it starts to rain again And it goes on again, on again, on again One and two and three and four go by Keep on smiling, trying to make the ask a bow On again, on again, on again Five and six and seven now As it starts to rain again 